Hello. Hello! Welcome to the first ever Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, because we've never done a podcast before. No, never before, and we weren't planning to ever do podcasts. Uh, I went quite high there, I brought you high, sorry, this is casual, we're going to be No, no, low, we're going to be casual. And the thing is that our episodes actually take a really uh, long amount of time to make, and so we don't have time at the minute, because... Uh, because uh, There are some problems. Yes, uh, in lives to do with um, uh, internet and also work, but uh, we still want to provide you sort of up-to-the-minute board game news, so yeah, we thought we'd have a more informal chat about what we've been playing, informally. Um, I mean, I'm, informally. I'm actually completely naked from the waist down right now, uh, and that's the kind of informality we've got right here. So, I guess, right on to quickly get this over with, onto the games now that we've been playing. What have you been playing recently, Can you Paul? not face me while you're... Um, what did, well, we played Rex, didn't we? Yes, uh, Rex. Uh, so, if you've heard of it, Rex is um, Fantasy Flight's uh, republishing of the Dune board game uh, in the 80s, which has a, a bit of a cult following, except they bought the licence to the game and not the setting. So what Rex is, is the old Dune mechanics with a few uh, very small tweaks uh, and uh, the Twilight Imperium universe. So, Space Cats. It's basically a mod, isn't it? And it's got something in it that I know that you like and hopefully you'll want to talk about a bit, which is asymmetry. What do you mean when you say it's a mod? Well, it's basically they have taken the game mechanics and they've sort of retextured it like you would in a... A video game. In a kind of, sort of... I guess. You know, like they used to... Yeah. Uh, the, no, the asymmetry is the thing, though. So what Rex is, is a game about... Uh, in the original game, you try to control a planet. In, in Rex, you're trying to control a city. And, uh, yes, everybody controls uh, different races. Each race has an advantage because the, every single phase of the game is a dick. Uh, sort of universally so. Um, in Rex, the planet is being bombed. Only one player knows sort of how fast the orbital fleet is moving and how much bombing is going to happen. Uh, one player can actually see the action cards you're all bidding for. Another player gets the money from the action cards you're all bidding for. Uh, w- one player can actually just hide. Um, the sort of space turtles can, uh, can flip their seconds over, at which point they become non-combatants, uh, which is adorable. But yeah, the asymmetry is cute because every player really feels like they're, they're in charge of their own species, their own goals, fighting their own battle. It's very much a game where other people do stuff and you benefit, which is kind of coy, I suppose, because a lot of the time you'll want to do your own thing, but a lot of the satisfaction comes from somebody else basically handing you an advantage on a plate. Like, (laughs) the the race I was playing, for example, um, I got... The, you uh, were the caretakers of the city, the original yes, sort of elitist residents. Uh, yeah. And then whenever people bid for cards, you bid for cards at the start of the round, uh, they didn't pay into a bank, they paid me. So yeah. I could join in the bidding and just push it up whether I wanted the cards or not, which was <laughs> for about eight rounds hilarious, and then everyone finally realised what I was doing. But the whole game is like this, isn't it? It's other people do things, mm. and they affect you, and sometimes you need them to. Yeah, if I was going to tell you guys one thing about Rex, it, it would be that it, it, it's uniquely uh, bastardly. I mean, every single phase in the game has an opportunity for uh, somebody to do, to do abs- absurdly mean stuff to other people. I mean, the game... <sighs> If you're going to fight a battle with any other player, you have to choose which of your six or five leaders commands that battle. With the twist that every single player gets a hand of possible traitors that they then uh, that they then sit on for the whole game. And if that leader is used in a battle against them, they can go, no, no, sorry, he was working for me all along. And uh, again, the, the spirit of the game is all about saying, oh, well, you shouldn't use that leader because I'm holding him, he's a card in my hand, lying or not. Just tricky little mind games, I suppose. It really is, which is neat, because the actual mechanics of the game are quite simple, and you just get into playing with it and toying with it, and really playing with other people. It's yeah. not even a game that you play, you play the table. No, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be looking at Rex and definitely giving you guys uh, the earliest possible review, but um, we need to sort of recover, sort of lick our wounds from last time we played it. Egos were, were burned in that game. <laughs> Uh, there's another game that a lot of people have talked to us about that we will be looking at soon as well. Mage Knight. Yeah. So a lot of people have been asking us for a review of Mage Knight, which is actually by uh, Vlada Vlada Tartil. 
Lava Chivata, yep. uh, who is our favourite board game designer, unquestionably. We did an entire episode on him and his games back in season one. And yeah, he made a game for WizKids, so a very glossy game called Mage Knight, which is about sort of competing wizards. All kinds of bits, very complicated, very, very, very nerdy. Um, yes. And it's been getting a lot of hype, hasn't it? Well, we, we got it quite a while ago, didn't we? And we played it a few times. Um, the production quality is extremely good, as anyone can tell from just loading up pictures on the internet. I mean, the, the the miniatures and the tokens and all the stuff you can do. Yeah, huge decks of cards. I mean, every yeah. just even if you buy a spell, that spell will have a sort of um, a, a, an already absurdly powerful version, and then an ultra version that you can do if it's night. And then there are dice representing mana floating around in night and day. And there's training. There's armies you can buy. There's caves you can plunge into. And yeah, no, it, it's just sort of. It's massive. I can see why people like it because it's kind of geek manner from heaven. It's like uh, it's th- there's there's so much to see and play with, and the game's very rich. But well, we first of all we haven't reviewed it yet for a very good reason, which is we don't re- we haven't got along that well with it yet. Well, we? two. Well, I was going to say two very good reasons. One being that <laughs> we keep reviewing stuff that people, or for a while we were re- reviewing stuff, and people were saying, "I cannot get this game anywhere." Ah, yeah, and of course, yeah. Uh, I mean, we do this show as a service. There is this is a bit of fun, but it's also there is a point here that is we are telling people which games we think are good or bad, and it's not very helpful if we say this game's great, but you can't buy it. Yeah, which yeah, we've, the amount of times we in our early days, and even now that we review games and then find out they're out of print is is disastrous. Yes. So yeah, that's one reason. Yeah, but the other big reason that we'll look at in much more detail in a forthcoming Mage Night review is that it's a very solitary game. It's um. There's, it's a lot of players running around doing their own thing, exploring by themselves. If you've ever played Fantasy Flight's Runebound, which is a sort of talisman-like heroes charging around collecting stuff, oh, the, big, yeah. the big complaint with Runebound is just that it's it's um, it's quite lonely. You, you could play by yourself and have the same experience, and that's that's Mage Knight, which is bizarre because all of Vlada's past games have been you know sort of like they're players bouncing off each other all the time in some way or another yeah even if it's sort of like accidentally whereas Mage Knight is it's, it's very serious it's got all of Vlada's wonderful design but um, yeah it's, it's he had some other agenda some other he was I think he was told to he was given a different brief I don't know so uh, catch your review of Mage Knight lonely uh, <laughs> let's uh, what else have we been playing oh, somebody asked for a um, Alien Frontiers review oh well that's going to come though that's going to come because ah. it's really good we're, uh, we're really organised people and we have our reviews you know all planned in advance oh yeah oh, have, you, have you seen what we're reviewing next week yes Mm. Mm. But yeah, Alien Frontiers <laughs> is is wonderful dice placement, and you know I don't think I'm spoiling anything when I say um, if you are eyeing up Alien Frontiers and wondering whether to buy it, definitely get it because yeah, really, really nice mix of um, you roll big handfuls of dice which are your ships, and the numbers you get on those dice can be placed around a central planet to try and uh, sort of uh, steal resources from other players or get resources for yourself or build new ships or drop colonies onto the planet in a variety of ways. And as you drop colonies onto the planet. You get victory points, uh, and all, but more importantly, controlling individual regions on that planet will give you a bonus, it'll give you more victory points. So you've got players trying to squeeze each other out of regions, and you've got area control going on, and players dropping fields, so the bonus for that region is no longer available, just so maybe they can hang on to it and get the extra victory points. Very clever, very light, uh, but yeah, ultra crunchy. Really, really, really nice design. Yes, and like you say, very light as well. There's so much in it that... You pick it up very easily. There's so much going on that you instantly understand what's happening on the board. There's not really that much of an... Ec- I mean, how long we were playing it for, like, ten minutes as a intro or something? Oh, yeah, then you, it just takes game. off. The, it's one of those games where you start playing and then the board you, practically you lifts it. off the table. Uh, yeah, you, well, it, it actually did with us, yeah. the version that we had. Uh, no, but that you won't be finding that. The yeah. anti-gravity version no. is... Um, is it's, you can, might be able to find it on eBay, maybe. But, yeah, the main thing I remember from that is going... This game's quite simple. It's quite nice. And then picking up some of the, um, the Alien Artifact cards. One of them let me flip my dice. One of them let me add pips between dice. So I was rolling my dice, but then having great fun rotating them like Rubik's Cubes to go, yeah. look what I can do! And... And it's like just sponging colonies onto the planets in uh, in, in massive numbers and feeling uh, like a dick, but also just having so much fun because I'd earned it, you know? It's really neat, and I have a feeling we might end up saying that it's an intro game for a lot of new board gamers, like, you know, show it to your non-board yeah, game Why not? Because you're rolling big fat handfuls of dice and it's deceptively simple, and then your board gamer friend can, you know, just 
beat the crap out of you at it, and you go, oh, that's oh, I wish I was better at that. That's that's clever. <laughs> You've been uh, going back to an old space game of ours, though, haven't you, Paul? You've been playing Race for the Galaxy. I played Race for the Galaxy recently with a friend of mine, and it was enormously fun. And I actually won one of the games as well. And you never win. Well, anything. The thing is, I like playing games, and they're fun to play, and also I get excited by just stuff happening. <laughs> I, I just get distracted like a cat in a place where cats are excited because things are happening, and I look at the systems, and then the game's over, and I'm just satisfied that I... Yeah, you'd never guess this from watching Sharpen <laughs> sit down, but uh, there's a massive difference between how Paul and I play games, which is that Paul has fun and enjoys himself and doesn't need to think too hard. Meanwhile, <laughs> I'm absurdly aggressive and, uh, and and get very grumpy. Paul and I, you know, have been playing Memoir 44, you know, for, for years now, and uh, we played a game recently which ended in me, it, it just in a sulk of, like, comedy proportions. I was so upset. Uh, yes, uh, and I don't know what to say. No, I just—I <laughs> pretty much had to go to the shop and buy food, uh, and it took me the trip to the shop and to come back just to put me in a state that I could talk to people, let alone be nice. Terrifying. Have you ever sulked? You, no. Well, I—I I kind of think the attitude to all board gaming is it's fine to in—it's fine to be invested in it because you should be, and you should take it sort of somewhat seriously, and you should care about the game. You, it's a lot better to have that attitude than to sort of feign disinterest and feign, well, actually have disinterest and be one of those people who says, "Oh, I can't do anything. Oh, I'm obviously going to lose because that's not much fun." Mm. But. The thing is, whatever whatever happens, it tends to pass for me in about ten minutes. Like, something will happen. Like, I might... The first time we played Game of Thrones and a certain person did a bad thing. <laughs> and I had, a, I had a bad time. But, I mean, that was... I had more fun pretending to be grumpy than actually, you know... Yeah. And it's five minutes afterwards, there's something else to do. You're thinking about something else. I don't think it should stay with I you. played a bizarre game of... Uh, the Game of Thrones board game. Yeah, By the way, game he... of a Game of Thrones that was... <laughs> no, but it was different numbers of players. Yeah, it was it? weird. Because last time uh, me and Paul played it was five, and that was a lot of talking, a lot of diplomacy, a lot of backstabbing, very much in the spirit of the game. If you haven't read our Game of Thrones review, by the way, you, you should, whether you're a fan of the series or not, because it's just a wonderful game. Um, I'm actually curious as to whether Rex is more of a bastard than it. Because um, mm-hmm. they're both cruel. But uh, yeah, so I played a Game of Thrones game recently and there was only four of us. And and what was made even weirder is that is that, well, when there's less of you, the players that should be get tokens on their territory, so they're sort of non-player regions, which can just be conquered by anybody. They're neutral, but they're not easy to take, no, are they? Not, they require not easy. a bit of effort. But so, you know, I'm, I'm always, you know, uh, trying to sort of encourage talking in games, but the situation I was in just meant I ended up winning the game by quietly sneaking through the territories. And actually, the game I was playing wasn't sort of trying to make sure I had armies or whatever. The game I was playing was a meta game of trying to make sure nobody noticed me, which was... Fascinating, exactly what the kind of Game of Thrones board game was about. Whether it was satisfying for anyone else, I'm not sure. But just trying to, every time somebody would go, but look at what he's doing, I would have to conjure up some, uh, um, oh, by the way, Cara, like, honestly, like, I, were you getting that tea? Or, like, can I have some of your drink or whatever? <laughs> and that works. That, and that's, that's, that's the game, you know, which is, which is absolutely bizarre. Well, there was a thing that we, we scribbled down on our quite enormous list of things that we could touch on. Which is the process of how we play games, I guess, and what we get out of them. Mm. And that kind of makes me... Am I doing a bad thing if I just yank us onto this topic? Well, not necessarily. Uh, sort of keep the ball rolling. What do you mean exactly? I don't have the... Um, <laughs> it's... Well, you know, there are... We were talking about this a bit earlier in the pub about that some people just... Particularly with heavy theme games, they they sort of they see through the theme and they look at the naked statistics of the whole thing and they try and manipulate ah, the right, system. Yes. And then we we often both of us when we play we kind of embellish what we're doing and we attach stories to why we're doing things. Mm. And we're not just sat there with a calculator saying, "Well, I can do this in three turns to get this much resource." Yeah, there's a certain spirit which we've never really touched on in Shut Up and Sit Down. I've never really covered it in board games ever. But um, yeah, because board games are fundamentally things of imagination and this is the kind of uh, yeah. this is the kind of stuff we started shut up and sit down to talk about because you never see it on board game geek really or you know a lot of uh, a lot of even the sites we really like um yeah i mean when we we did our race for the galaxy review we did kind of uh, we mentioned how the the tableau you're building or the cards you put down actually sort of almost tell a story yeah. 
And that's something, you know, I've never seen before. And I'm sure, as you said, lots of people playing the game wouldn't even think about the fact that they place a mining colony next to a, a, a runaway robot next to a doomed world and sort of realise the grim picture they're painting. Um, but yeah, you know, with, with, with anything that we play, it's, it's always more about uh, the saying the stories that happen, you know, the, yeah. oh, I've played this card, um, you know, like you said before, you know, oh, my, my general was killed this round, well, we played a, you know, he played a carouse card last time, so he was probably still drunk. And yeah, exactly, and I think, I wonder if that comes partly from, is it from the crowd that we have anyway, the fact that if we're playing something with a lot of our friends, like, I don't know, a Game of Thrones, we do take it more personally, and we go more for that element and less for the statistics anyway, you know, if someone attacks us in a game, if they particularly manage to piss us off or, or touch a nerve, we'll look at the person or the people behind the game rather than just the rules, the roots to victory. Yeah. And are we just really bad at playing games or are we really good at having fun? I think we're really good at having fun. I mean, yeah, it's an interesting element, isn't it? Like, um, I mean, you often do see, even within video games, people playing games differently, you know, even if you play an online game and just troll. It's... Not something I ever see covered in board game reviews that ultimately you could buy Game of Thrones as a hardcore tactical war game, war game or you could buy it as a way of role-playing Game of Thrones stuff or just making endless, yeah. endless Game of Thrones references with your friends. I think you that's could a really good point. play it as a grudge match. Oh, God. <laughs> um, It'd be like a five-hour grudge match. Yeah, if you actually were sort of really thinking about it and going off and having very serious political discussions with people. I'm not sure, and I think uh, I think we do mention that in our reviews enough, like saying if you're after sort of a very thematic experience, if you're after a very yeah. hardcore mathsy experience, um, yeah, maybe we can, we can look at that more in future, just, I suppose, maybe an idea for a future article, just how we play games and uh, how you and I play personally. There's a, another thing, actually, that we, we didn't write on the list, and I'm totally going to pull it out from under my hat, which I am wearing, unlike you, who is obviously naked from the waist down. And even as we speak, removing more clothing. Uh, we also played Dixit, which was, oh. again, incredible. <laughs> yeah, uh, we have reviewed Dixit on the, block as, on the blog as well. On and the block. On the block. On also our block. Paul and I do do uh, ghetto reviews. Where with, we with a hat on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> never get any money, though. Uh, never. Um, there was that guy who threw a... Uh, beer can in once. Yeah, uh, just at me. Mainly, uh, Dixit was amazing recently because uh, because usually, you know, you would say sort of poetic things in Dixit. You say, um, you say, you know, she had trouble reading, or or um, or um, uh, oh, he, it can be he, or he, he never forgave himself. It could be a song lyric. It yeah, could be, it can be a song lyric. It can be a bit of poetry. It can be a phrase like the worst journey or yes, um, childhood memory. And I said, uh, I said something that that resulted in did reduce the whole table to hysterics. So Paul and I both were his journalists. You know, none of the people we were playing with did. But I said journalism as a word. Oh my god! And what I turned over was like a picture book of my brain. It was one of the cards was just a machine. Another was a flock of doves attacking this one central point like a swarm of bees. One of them <laughs> was a sort of Pied Piper uh, some who was walking along, but rather than rats following him, it was knives. I can't... One of them... Oh, yeah, the one actually everyone voted for, which wasn't my original card, yeah. was... Um, was a donkey holding up a mask, which with a which with a made man it look on. like a man. It was it was, a, <laughs> it was an ass pretending to be a man, and, and that you, was I thought, yeah, that's what Quinn's thinks of. No, <laughs> no. instead you thought it was a guy playing the flute, running away from, from a knives. sky full of knives. Yes, that is exactly what online journalism is like. You, you run a review of a video game, it, it, you know, you're basically screaming at a, a, a swarm of knives and saying, "I dare you to uh, to stab me." And I suppose that's the thing with Dixit. It is most of all about the people who are the table again and it's going to be about the personal relationship yeah. there's no naked mathsy mechanics well there. no not at all which was um uh it is always really i mean dictated is the game you pull out when you've just been trashed at, a, at some very hardcore game by a man who has an engineering degree from cambridge <laughs> and uh not not anyone that we not know naming that. anyone we know no. and uh and yeah no and you, you put dicks in front of them and watch them struggle <laughs> uh definitely my favorite moments playing dicks have come from when, you know, Paul or somebody I know relatively well will say, you know, will say a phrase like, um, happiness, and I'll look at the five cards and I'll think, what does make Paul happy? And, and, and by going into his head and ricocheting around his head like a ping, you know, like a ping pong ball, uh, I, I will go, yes, this is the card. I mean, you're, when you're right at something like that. Yeah. I mean, even if it's not you really getting inside their head, even if it was just fluke, it doesn't matter. It still feels phenomenal. 
It's fab. Although also the opposite as well. When I said, uh, when I just said Ryanair and put down a card and then got everyone's interpretations of Ryanair. Which were all better than yours. Well, I thought mine was pretty good. It was a massive floating jelly with a sting in its tail. And then I guess when the mouse in the boot appeared, the mouse in the flight, <laughs> that was a card that somebody painted while thinking about Ryanair. And yeah. Can't ever use that again. Uh, what else have we been uh, playing recently? Ah, I'll tell you what. what. For anyone who hasn't, you know, turned off the podcast in horror, what we're really like as people um, <laughs> let's talk about Castles of Burgundy which we've been playing mm. recently so yeah a few people have mentioned to us oh you, you you're, I like Shut Up and Sit Down but you review a lot of Ameritrash you know a lot of really thematic games and that's Do true you? I think I so I guess okay All right. I, I mean when was the last time we covered a really hardcore Europe there was Stone Age ages back which I didn't like <laughs> but mm, yeah. Castles of Burgundy so that's this is just wonderful and like it's a very very heavy Euro you're all in, you're all regal leaders in France building peacefully your own estates Built up of villages and and, and barnyards and um, and other castles and um, and it's it's really good, isn't it? It's really engaging. It's really again. It was one of those things where I looked at the manual and I thought, hold on a second. But when you actually get into the process of it, it's it's fairly. I've just made you laugh into your Dr Pepper. I'm glad that didn't go, <laughs> didn't go all over me. Um, but you know, you get into the process of the game and you think, actually, this isn't so bad. It's really easy to understand. It's just two dice and a few tokens and the game almost plays itself but the thing is it's kind of solo it's multiplayer mo- well actually well, before we get to that let's explain sort of more generally what you're actually on, doing so there's, there's a central sort of sheet because you don't have boards because the game is cheap uh, like the budgie and, um, and what you've got in the central board is a load of uh, hexagons sort of uh, up for sale which would fit beautifully into your, uh, into your board there are also trade goods which you could sell for victory points, and there's there's all this wonderful stuff on that board. The problem being, you roll two dice on your turn, and uh, that's kind of that limits your options. And within those options, you have to try and um, uh, grab stuff that would be useful for you, while also surreptitiously taking stuff that would be uh, useless for your opponent. Made more interesting by the fact that you roll your dice at the end of your turn rather than the beginning, yeah. which means if you roll a four, you can look around and go, "Ah, oh, Paul rolled a four. Oh, look." Available under the four section is, a, is you know, a, a pig pen. Well, Paul has <laughs> lots of pigs. He'll be wanting that. Um, Paul uh, did actually... It, my, my sales pitch for Castles of Burgundy as to how exciting it is, and even though how drab it sounds, is um, that Paul had a lot of cows in, in his pasture. And the way cows work, or any animal, is that if you put a hex with more animals next to that, uh, you gain victory points for every single animal painted on those tiles. You know, so every additional cow sort of activates all the cows. Just like real life. Just like real life. If you, yeah, if you, if you grew up near cows, you'll know what I'm talking about. And uh, so, yeah, Paul did say the immortal line, uh, oh, once these cows come out, I'm going to have an orgasm. And that uh, made me laugh uh, for far too long, really. I mean... That's it. That's the point where people turn the podcast off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, it just you, you get into it. It's really exciting. It's to- well, it's totally engaging. It's really, like I said, it's really easy to pick up. You're immediately looking at all the stuff that's on offer. You want everything because... Uh, you score victory points partly by grabbing certain buildings, but also by filling certain areas on your own board. You might have an area of pasture once you fill that up with animals. That gets you victory points. Or you might have a river once you fill that river with ships. That gets you more victory points. So you can see what other people are trying to fill up and you know grab it from under them, squirrel it away somewhere on your own board. Uh, you can also grab workers, which is sort of the universal... Uh, they're the automatic I can't do anything else choice but they're a good I can't do anything else choice because they let you modify your die rolls yeah and then playing into all of this is the fact that you can buy uh, technology hexagons which don't give you uh, any points necessarily but give you sort of buffs for the rest of the game yeah so like a a technology token might say oh whenever you place a church in future you'll be able to you know it'll be a it'll be a super church and you go oh my goodness and yeah it's It's difficult to sell... I mean, there are so many games like this, and so many of them underwhelm us in the fact that, oh, yeah, I'm rolling dice, I'm picking items up. None of this intrinsically sounds fun. Um, so it's going to be an interesting review to write, because Castles of Burgundy is just razor sharp. It's so why, why do you like a game that looks to me a lot like multiplayer solitaire, which I kind of like, but usually you really don't. Well... You come out against very heavy... I do ordinarily come out against very heavy, and we did write an article on the blog a while back saying, uh, with me and Paul arguing viciously with Paul, saying, oh, sometimes it's nice to just all of you building, you know, your own individual things, and me saying, no, games are about conflict and talking to each other. And that article ended with something that I've been rocking around in my brain ever since, which is Galaxy Tracker. If you've seen our review of that back in episode 5 or heard of this game, I mean, you'll 
you'll have heard about it. And if you haven't heard about it, it's a game where you essentially all have to build these sort of Lego spaceships and then set off in a big convoy together. And that you pointing out that that was that was actually kind of a solitary experience. It's, it sort of is, isn't it? I mean, you 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 build your own ships while grabbing from the same pile, but you don't your hands don't clash too often. You mm-hmm. can someone can take a particular component you need, you'll find a substitute, and then when you go out into space together, stuff happens to you in a sort of a rough order. But you don't, I guess, you make choices to change that order. But you're you're having your own individual flight in space with your own individual ship you've made, your own individual. Disasters happen to sort of you and everyone else laughs, and that's the bonding. Yeah, and you're not directly affecting each other much. So yeah, I have had to think about this a lot, and it's it's amazing what can take a game out of the space in my head, which is labelled, you know, this is this is a lonely game, and this is a this is a friendly game. Uh, like Seven Wonders has you passing cards around in a circle, and then yeah. all, so you all essentially share the same hands of cards. And then the hand of cards will get back to you, and you go, oh, why did he take the good ones and all whatever? And that's you know that's that's uh, that's not. That, that's uh, multiplayer in sort of this very loose sense. And yet it makes all the difference. You know, I still yeah. feel like I'm connecting with people. You still have reason to talk. I think, um, uh, yeah, it, Castles of Burgundy just works for me. Uh, the same way Galaxy Docker does, the same way Race of the Galaxy does, even though these are, you know, can be viewed as quite solitary games, simply because there's just enough sort of sand there in the middle for me to sort of like flick at people or, or sort of like you know try and drag to my own place it's uh, it, it takes a game being very very lonely indeed before I'm willing to sort of say yeah I'm not actually feeling like I'm bonding with my yeah, friends yeah that's fair enough if you find something that is fun and that works for you I think all that's another thing with gaming anyway there's, there's always going to be an element of personal choice where just a theme uh, you know turns you on or lights up a, a bulb or a spark or something in your head like a sort of red light uh, I have a friend of, I have a friend, of, you know, Tom. You have a friend? I have a friend, actually. He wasn't, you. Um, that was below the belt. Uh, Tom says he doesn't like card games, which is intrinsically absurd. And, uh, but, but, you know, he's played a couple of card games that he didn't like, and off the basis of that, he's formed this, this rigorous opinion. Any card games? Any card games. Does that include the Resistance? Uh, I mean, come on, that doesn't really, I suppose, but the Resistance technically has a board. It's, oh. <laughs> okay. The board, if you don't know, uh, for the Resistance is about the size of your, the palm of your hand. Tom, um, if you're listening, I didn't know this about you, and it drastically changes what I think of you. <laughs> Um, we've got, uh, what else have we got? We've got Kingdom Builder. Oh, we put that on our, oh. Mmm. Mm. So a game of hexes. A game of hexagons. Uh, so Kingdom Builder is a very simple game that actually is designed by the guy who made Dominion. And so Board Game Geek had big expectations. And then, but yeah, it's actually really quite light. What you get is you get this modular board, so you get a little world made of hexes, and everybody gets to place buildings on this world in a sort of, like, very uh, clever, clever way. But um, the objective, what you're actually trying to do, changes every game. You get a deck of ten cards with the game, of which each with a different objective on, and you pick three of them randomly, and that's the way you're trying to build. And, uh, and you know, you might have to build near rivers, you might have to build near other players, you might have to, uh, to build vertically or laterally, but, you know, it, it's very massy to try and figure out what you can do uh, to the best of your ability, and there's a lot of, towards the late game, going, oh, no, why did I build in this direction? Because now I have to fill this yeah. forest and agonising and I'm kind of in love with it because it's just so pretty an object really yeah okay I I don't know what I think of Kingdom Builder it's fine I had I, the, t- the time I had playing it was fine and I, <laughs> this is fine um, and I don't think anything got st- stored in my long-term memory bank about that gaming I think experience. what you're describing is what a lot of people are saying about it. It's but I thought it had quite good responses on BGG. I thought generally the internet and the world was having fun with this game, and uh, I wasn't. Um, maybe. I mean, I think pretty much the fandom is, might even be split into how you and I feel. People going, hey, it's all right, and then people like me going, ooh, ooh it's pretty good. And, uh, and yeah, it, it's just a nice board, and I place nice wooden houses on it, and I'm very happy cause, because I'm scoring points the whole time. It's, yeah, no, this is actually, I mean, usually on Top of the Down, I try and pride myself on having these rational opinions of everything. Kingdom Builder is the first game where I'm actually kind of worrying myself at how much I like it aesthetically, uh, you know, both physically and as a piece of design. Yeah. Well, we've just found something that touches instincts you can't explain now, so... 
<laughs> clearly we need uh, burgundy is the same it's full of hexes and putting stuff down so you've got some weakness for <laughs> hexes and tiny pieces I think hexagons well, let's move on what else well, have we got you know on what? I, was, I was wondering if we can talk about another game that the whole world likes and they think that we don't like but we do well, like but it doesn't have hexagons in the... uh, well uh, let's there, it's been a burning issue now since like Halloween <coughs> yeah so since Halloween 2011 um, Paul and I did our Halloween special last year which reviewed one game and one game only because we tried to be respectful and mm-hmm. it, was, uh, it was Arkham Horror Arkham Horror, of course, uh, to many people, the game. I did an article on um, uh, gaming blog Kotaku recently about board games. And all the first three of comments were, yeah, this list of interesting games was good, but needs more Arkham Horror. And, yeah, no, the, the game has a lot of fans. Um, all the fans. All of the fans. And we hear from them quite often. We do. We get many emails. In addition to the comments, if you go and look at the Halloween special of people informing us why we're wrong to say... Um, to say what we did about Arkham Horror, uh, we get emails saying why it's a good game and why we're wrong. Most of these points reiterate from the same thing, which is, no, you have to work as a di- So to clarify, what Paul and I said about... I, I'm going to put on a voice for, for everybody who ever... Well, it's, I'm talking it'll be about a these thing. Guys. It's fine. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we said that Arkham is... You know, is a fine game. We said it was. It was. I think Paul says that we use the word "good." We do. We say it's good, and that you can have a good. Yeah, I've had fun playing Arkham Horror, and this is the thing. In the review, the key line, people pretty much phase out for the whole thing, and then at the end, (laughs) I, you know, I come in and I say, uh, "We'd recommend you don't buy Arkham Horror. It's it's too big. It's too expensive. It takes too long. Except for those times, it's over immediately because you've lost. Because you've lost, and you sometimes couldn't do anything about it, and um, and all of these." Are reasons why not that you we don't think you should buy it not because you know because of that because of that because there are just better co-op games you know but yeah i mean this this goes back to what we were saying earlier in the podcast as well about a service where we're trying to advise people how how to spend their money what games around arkhamor is quite big yeah it's quite expensive and the litmus test that i mean this this is the nuclear weapon we haven't brought out against people yet but i'll say now because i've got nothing to lose this doesn't work all the time but just just as a thought experiment, it's sometimes worth looking at games without a theme and seeing if they still work. Game of Thrones board game, uh, for example, is a wonderful example of a game that would still be fascinating and, and just absurd. It would be beautiful, even if it was, you know, just you shuttling circles around a board of squares. If they had no names, no context, yeah. just the rules. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Arkham Horror, if you remove the theme, becomes insane. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's mad enough sneezing. anyway. It's just sneezing random events at you, isn't it? You go into this space, uh, what happens, roll against this stat, or or you die or you lose. Okay, well, all right, I, my stat isn't high enough, I cannot possibly do that. Yeah, And, and obviously you can trade items and you can try and boost and buff. This is very important. But A lot of people have said it's important that you play as a team to us, as if we don't course. understand that. We, we, we get that playing as a team is a, is a huge deal. Um, uh, and we get that you know good teams are more likely to win than lose, and that you know if you play at a lower difficulty setting, the game becomes more forgiving. But um, if you just imagine for one second that that theme doesn't incite, doesn't excite you, because we're much more interested in design uh, here at Sheldon Sit Down. We we care about you know like say Space Alert is a co-op game that we adore because yes it carries its theme, the theme of sort of a rickety spaceship, you know having all the disasters in the world and trying to come home in one piece is gorgeous and it carries in the mechanics but those mechanics are really clever Arkham is 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 all like we say smoke and mirrors it's all it, pictures and stuff that happens yeah uh, often for no reason and with no warning and with which can be fun it yeah. can but as far as a board game where we would say oh my god you have to play this I mean imagine hypothetically that you sat someone down who wasn't into board games and they played Arkham Horror, and it was one of the bad games of Arkham Horror, where it drags on for seven hours and actually really sags in the middle and then kills you all randomly at the end. That person would never play another board game for the rest of their <laughs> life. I think that's a pretty good conclusion. Uh, yeah, I wonder if we're going to get more emails with regards to this. Um, Absolutely, we are. Let's just uh, cover... Uh, what else have we got as far as games we've been playing recently? I've written down Seeds, but we shouldn't get to that yet, should we? Oh, <laughs> Yeah, no, maybe we should. Why not? Because uh, no, it's it's an awful segue into. I'm gonna do it. Go on. So Paul had a dream recently uh, that uh, that, that uh, Paul and I had a had an exciting website that reviewed things, but we weren't reviewing board games. We were reviewing uh, plants. Is that right? And I, it was. I just remember something like Quinns. We have to get a better shot of these seeds. That we're <laughs> on to the next thing. On to the God. <laughs> 
Uh, uh, we just... Well, there's Carcassonne written down here. I don't know why. Well, all right. I was going to say that in the list of stuff <laughs> that I've been playing recently. I haven't played it so much recently. It's one of my favourite games ever. It'll always be in my top ten. I have a feeling like Settlers of... Well, obviously we did that and it's on the blog. But like many games, we might not quite get around to covering it enough. Partly because it's so well known already. Or so many people have bought it and played it. I just... I don't there know. Are, it's like if you're interested in buying Carcassonne, you can Google it and get sort of plenty of people telling you what it is and why it's good. And also, it's just... Yeah, but I feel really bad that I've never said anything about one of my favourite games ever. On oh, the go show. on then. No, this is your shot. This is your shot into, into the dark. Fire your opinion at the denizens of the internet as if they were uh, a target range. All right. Uh, the firing squad is ready then. Uh, Carcassonne, Tyler Actually, Paul, can we randomly... move on to something else? I'm just, I'm just messing with you. All right, what's what's, what's no 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 go sorry sorry no tile placing randomly drawn from you know like a stack or something it doesn't actually work so well with more people I don't think because a lot of your it has the most amazing expansions ever including one that's just a catapult that fires stuff around which is ridiculous and some other genuinely good expansions which actually add some clever new stuff to the game without ruining it. Paul, you're doing this wrong. I'm interested in buying Carcassonne. Uh, what should I know about it? Should I buy it or not? You should know. It's quite small. It travels... Nah, it doesn't really travel. What am I doing in it? You're placing tiles down to build a town, which is actually the town of Carcassonne, which is a real place in France, which is lovely. Uh, you play it with other people. You put workers down on tiles to try and claim the things that are on them. And then when you complete them, you score points for the workers that are on them. But obviously, because you're lying stuff down all the time, people are trying to lie stuff near you, and they're trying to get in on what you're doing. So you build a road somewhere, you put a dude on it, you think, this is my road, I'll finish it soon, it'll be great. Someone else works out a convoluted way to link their road that they're building into yours. And, and then their they're... road already has a worker on. Or maybe even two, if they're really clever. Uh. Same for their cities, or same for all sorts of nonsense. And then there's expansions with dragons and fairies and princesses. So the the, the appeal of the game is that you're simultaneously uh, building this sort of like landscape in front of you, and, and trying also... to sabotage exactly what each of you are doing. Whenever you put guys down and you say, "I'm invested in right. this," somehow. so you're seeing a landscape develop and simultaneously trying to uh, sort of uh, use and abuse it. Yes, to reshape it or just to conquer it like tiny. Wooden Nazis. <laughs> that sounds like a Oh dear. Uh, no, I'm glad you've you've done your review. That can't, so it's good. What's the, I mean, you've had exciting times. It's happy. It's what. It's yeah, it's one of my favourite games to play just with two people because I think it works particularly well with two, and I think it just becomes a bit random or a party game with more than two people because uh, there's. It's like a dueling game with two people. You're very much invested in everything that happens and you lose that element of, of control or direct influence when you have three, four, five people. It's just... So it's it's simple, lovely and very good with two players. And tight. And tight. And well, it becomes flabby when you add others. Have we exhausted our list of stuff we've been playing recently? I think so. Uh, Apart from what's in your impressions post, which we've gone over in your impressions. Yeah, if you haven't read it, the post I did last week was about uh, Star Trek uh, Fleet Captains and, uh, and and another game, which is called... Uh... Ah, Thurn and Taxis, yes. So if you're curious about my oh, impressions, God. I basically quite liked both of them, but one more than the other. Uh, spoilers. Um, we were once asked how much of um, the show, how much of the episodes is ad-libbed. Uh, ah. <laughs> which made me laugh, because just... I mean, is the show that bad? <laughs> it looks like we're making it up on the spot. We do, we get some nice questions. We get actually quite a lot of really nice emails and comments from people, which is fantastic. And thank you so much for anyone yes, who sent you. those in. That's brilliant. Um, we we work pretty hard on the show, don't we? We write scripts beforehand. We go through them. We edit them. We chop them apart. The actual filming process takes us <coughs> like we book full days to film. Yeah, and then the editing is uh, is its own sort of like trials. Every step of the process has various dangers, whether it's dogs or microphones breaking or. I mean, <laughs> Paul is 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 wonderful and long suffering because what I basically have are sort of mild panic attacks with regards to the script. Uh, and I will be, will be about you know thirty minutes away from filming a review, and I'll go. Paul, this doesn't work. Paul, we don't express why the game is good. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, and then Paul will go. It's okay. No, I think it's quite good. And I'll go. No, and then Paul and I will rewrite it over forty five minutes because we're losing daylight, and for continuity, we have to 
Make sure we film this before the sun goes down. Oh, that's a very that's a very nice appraisal. Although we probably we both have our own foibles in what we do, definitely, and complement each other surely in skills. I compliment you somehow, don't I? I do something. I'm yeah. here for a reason. I, yeah, no, um, I, I used to know what it was, but but it's, no, like... it's gone. It's gone. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh, how much? How much do people want to hear how we do the show? I think if I listened to the show and I heard us whinging about how tedious it was to make it, I would, that would make me like the show less. So I should also say that Paul and I do the show for fun for a reason, and we're having just the best time uh, seeing you guys respond to it. And, yeah, uh, connecting with people has been. I don't think we expected it to be as good as it was. I know what game we've been playing recently that we haven't covered yet in our list, which is Skull and Roses. Oh, oh, hey, no, this is a very interesting thing to talk about. Can you explain the history behind it briefly? Well, I don't know how true this is, but according to the manual and our website, uh, Skull and Roses is a game actually invented by the Hells Angels that has since been uh, repackaged by a French company. Um, yeah, so the Hells Angels used to, supposedly, certain chapters of the Hells Angels. Again, the ras- you know, uh, the truth of this is, is just not at all confirmed. So certain chapters of the Hells Angels used to determine leadership by if you wanted to be leader, you go outside and you and the other candidates would be chained to bikes and then dragged down the motorway. The last of you to scream stop was the leader. Yeah. Um, and so, but this was, according to the manual, uh, hell on the leathers of the Hells Angels. So they invented this bluffing game instead. Now, Skull and Roses is interesting because what has always appealed to me about poker is the bluffing element of it. That excites me, even though I'm miserable at bluffing. Uh, I'm not bad at reading people, though. And um, Skull and Roses is a game that takes poker, removes all the maths, and uh, and just makes it about bluffing. And it's wonderful. It's my favourite simple game that I've ever played. So everyone gets uh, five coasters, uh, four of which have roses on, and one of which has a skull on. And all you do is you go around the group, each of you placing these coasters face down with either a rose or a skull on. Only you know which one it is. And then once you've gone full circle and everyone has a coaster, you can either continue putting coasters down, or anyone at any point can say, I can flip one, or I can flip two. And what they're saying there is, I can flip a card... uh, I can flip a certain number of cards. I can flip two or three or seven cards and show only roses. If anyone says this and flips a skull... Uh, then they lose one of their cards permanently, which and which they sort of act like lives, but they also limit your bluffing options. Like if you lose your skull, then yeah, so yeah, the, you're in big trouble. You're in big trouble. So the idea is that you put down a rose and then a skull, and then some other player across the table goes, "I can flip three and you go, "I can flip four and he goes, "I can flip five So he flips his own because you have to do that first, revealing two roses, and then he goes to flip yours because you said you could flip four. And you have to start with your own. So, uh, yeah, he flips yours and sees the skull. And then every, the entire table goes, hey, because he's a dick. Then he made a mistake. And, um, yeah, it's just a game of keeping a straight face and trying to read your friends, trying to know whether they play it safe, whether they're risky. And, uh, yeah, you get wonderful rounds where somebody says they can flip eight and they flip over their three and then they start taking individual coasters of other people and you get rose, Because rose, this is the rose, thing, you rose, can go around rose. the table, can't you? As long as you know what's in your stack, you know what your limit is because you put your own cards down or yep. your own coasters. And then once you dart around other people, you can pick up one from each person or two yep. from one guy. <clears throat> so if you say you can flip over seven, you flip over your four to begin with, revealing all roses, and then you only have to flip three more. But which friends, you know, what cards do you take? How are people, you know, betting? Did, did somebody say he could flip three? Is that a bluff? Is that a double bluff? It's just, for me, it's just about pushing your luck. It's how cocky do you want to be? <laughs> and of course, you get the, the then the punishment of you lose one of your cards, everyone knows what card you've lost, and now they're, they're reading you better because of that. Mm. Well, that's the thing, neat. actually. People don't know what card you've lost. Oh, they they know you, they know you've lost a card or two cards or three cards, but I mean, oh, of you course. Can, I mean, yeah. So even if you just have one rose and one this skull, is, this is why I lost. <laughs> if you have one rose and one skull, then your options are severely limited. But if you can keep a straight face and not have other players know that your skull is still something you're hanging on to, then uh, yeah. As long as no one calls you when you can say that you can flip two. If you, you say you can flip two and you've got two cards, both of your cards down, and uh, yeah, then they just, at that point, they don't know. At that point, the game just becomes the funniest thing in the world. It's amazing, isn't it? It's a really interesting idea for a game. But yeah, I put off buying it for ages because it comes in a, it's one of those, uh, as a board gamer, you always want to go for big, exciting things, don't, don't you? Like big, glossy things, lots of components. Yeah, yeah. You know, or even if not, you know, necessarily glossy things. Maybe you like Euro you games. You want lots of stuff to play with. You want things to pick up and move around it's, and touch. It's and just a more exciting thing to take home, I think, for lots of people. And so, yeah, I avoided Skull and Roses, even though it's by, um, uh, uh, you know, the, the Hell's Angels. And um, and everybody says it's a wonderful bluffing game, and I love bluffing. Because it comes in a small box. 
and it's cheap. And that that is just absolute folly, isn't it? I mean, you know, and, I, and I'm so glad I bought it. It's up there with Jungle Speed as far as really lightweight nonsense that I can play and have at any time with almost anybody at a party you know yeah. the first time I played Gun Roses I was actually just in a pub at a meet like a sort of internet meet and it was me and six people and, and we got a crowd around us because it was like it was, there was a tense game going on oh god of course it must be an amazing spectator game it really like, really is instantly gets it the moment yeah. they see it as soon as they see it they know what you're doing and then you you know you, which is, and imagine you know when you say you can flip eight and you have like 20 pairs of eyes on you just flipping these cards and when you make a mistake and you flip a skull the whole room just goes wow cheers and you yeah and you feel about two we have to do that next time then we've got to find a place to to do it with friends at a party something like that yeah 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 absolutely actually um, we could almost do a bar game special couldn't we because uh, on my on my last impressions piece we covered um, uh, Baron Munchausen which is just a game of telling stories Uh, definitely go check that out but that's the only game, the first game we've ever covered uh, that's best played in a bar. And Skull and Roses is absolutely the second, you know. And um, we're branching out, aren't we? We need to do a games you can play on a train special at some point. Oh, I could totally think of some as well. Mm. I really could. Is there anything else we want to cover? What do we have left? Um, I've got crows written down here. That was more for the bird incident earlier yeah. that we had while we are coming up with the ideas. Uh, do you like crows? Yeah, they're okay. I mean, I like ravens because they're like big and black, and they look sort of heavy and serious. And but you know, there's a whole gothic <laughs> they're the thing. most serious of birds. There's a, there's a whole gothic thing going on which I don't buy into really. And I think ravens have basically sold out. <laughs> oh, there's one last game we can cover if, if, for the three people still listening, uh, which is sneaks and snitches. Oh yeah. So we we covered Mage Knight to say um, oh, Vlada. Jartel, maybe not not our favourite Vlada game, but um, Sneaks and Snitches is is kind of Vlada doing. Uh, if Mage Knight is Vlada doing big and glossy and uh, Sneaks and Snitches is him paring it down to something very yeah. simple and quick, which we've never seen before. Vlada's games all tend to be quite large, so Sneaks and Snitches. Uh, do you want to go for it? Okay, Sneaks and Snitches. Oh, I can't say that. The game that I cannot say is. Pretty simple in its whole central conceit. You've got a bunch of different places that you can rob. You have two <laughs> cards. Well, you have a hand of cards that uh, match up letters to locations. I think it's A to H or A to Depending H. on how many players you go. Depending on how many players. There are a different number of locations. All you do with your cards is you secretly choose which card represents the location you're going to rob and which card represents the location you're going to tip people off on, tip the cops off on. Which is a problem because if other people go to rob that place and the places being tipped off they don't get anything and then every turn you lay down uh, the, the items that are going to appear yeah. in each place the, uh, the important thing that turns it uh, into a, an actual game is the fact that um, items of different values uh, will appear uh, you know so maybe you'll get you know three information if you're here or four gold and all of these things are worth different points at the end of the game which is very clearly laid out oh yes and so you know you can go for something cheap so it's less likely to be guarded or you can go for something expensive on the off chance that all the players will assume another player sent a stitch to that resulting in you uh, walking away with Napoleon's brandy or uh, or or Roosevelt's ashtray ashtray yeah yeah which is which is just stunning it's a get it's, it's really Vlada in the sense that it's, it's all simultaneous. You all make your call and it's very tense and then you all flip your cards simultaneously and the whole table goes, No! How did you let him get away with stealing that? And how could you... And it's also good because if two thieves even try and rob the same location, they don't go away empty-handed because they both get sort of one sort of poultry... They get a consolation. <laughs> they do, yes. For all turning up in the same place at the same time and fouling each other's plans. It's... There's not much to it, is there? It's quite light, it's quite easy to get into, and it's just a game about trying to outthink your friends, think, where are they going to go? How can I ruin their day? <laughs> and then what can I grab that they won't think I'm going to grab? And obviously you want to pick up a variety of items. You want gold, you want information, you want rubies or whatever they are, because at the end of the game you get victory points based on how you rank on having these different things. Yeah, and so it's, uh, and, and there are, of course, cards that let you steal from the other thieves as well. Oh, they're just, yeah. I, yeah, I think it, it punches above its weight as far as um, how tense it is and how small it is. Yeah. Um, which is, I think, agree. the best thing I can say about it. Um, uh, as long as we're still ticking on, I suppose we've got nothing to lose and continue to talk about another game. Go on, then. Shadowhunters. Uh, oh, yes, of course, you've only played one tiny episode. I, <laughs> I play, I, is it always that brief? No, it's not. It you was just, quite brief. We just, all got... 
killed immediately. Dynamite flew everywhere. Is what <laughs> I remember. Shadow Hunters is the only and well, the only Japanese game I own, the Japanese board game, and um, the first one we'll be looking at. So it's a game that's been republished by Z-Man uh, over here in the West, and what it is is it's a, it's a hidden roles game. So you've got some players around the table will be the forces of shadow. And some players around the table will be forces of will be hunters hunting them down, and other people will be innocent bystanders. Importantly, unlike Bang or the Resistance, nobody knows who anyone is. So you're all sort of circling this arena of a graveyard and a church and stuff, picking up weapons, picking up items, picking up abilities, uh, and just looking at people, trying to figure out who's attacking who. It's a bit. I mean, if you just sort of imagine paintball, where nobody knows what side anyone paintball else is on, blindfolded in the dark, where you just hear the screams. Yeah, and it's colourful as well, like paintball. It's uh, every card in the game and every location on the board is this sort of like really fluorescent blue or green or purple. It's it's very much. I mean, the phrase party game gets thrown around a lot. Shadowhunters is the first game I've played that almost feels like a party in that it's just sort of bright and slightly obnoxious and chaotic and incredible fun. It's, um, I mean, it wouldn't necessarily be good played at a party, but as far as uh, just sort of randomly accusing the person sat to your right and then stabbing the person to your left who throws dynamite at the person to your right and it turns out that you and the person to your left are on the same team and that's great. Except that a hunter reveals themselves and uses their dynamite nurse special ability to shoot you both dead. It's it's wacky. And I think it's the first board game we've looked at that is wacky. And that's kind of a reason to look at it anyway. Because a game that's wacky and yet manages to sort of cohere into a solid experience anyway. So that's something that we would recommend to people. I mean, I quite liked it, but then I'm very biased to hidden role games. Yeah, no, loosely, I mean, if you have the same kind of uh, interest in hidden role games as me and Paul do, which you should, because they're the best kind of game uh, on the market today, <laughs> um, then I would say you can't really go wrong picking up Shadowhunters. I don't think it's that expensive. I think it's about £30, so probably about £30. US um, And it's just kind of fun. Unless you're after games are very serious like the resistance uh you know you it's, it's more like bang sort of lightweight chaos can be over very quickly but that's fine because you clean up and play the game again yeah absolutely yeah. you know uh, yeah even more absurd than bang you know, if, you, if you imagine the sort of the staircase towards just uh, absurdity goes the resistance bang shadowhunters actually fighting each other which sometimes look. Um, I'm quite hungry. Oh, okay. I'm, well, let's uh, let's uh, go and get. Um, I think I've got some figs in the other room. Are you going to put your trousers on? Uh, no. Um, that would, I suppose it would be hygienic, wouldn't it? Okay, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to us rabbit on about board games for 51 minutes. Wow, my God, it's going to be 52 by the time we finish. Yeah. Let us know if you enjoyed this format and whether you'd like us to uh, talk nonsense because we have had some requests for board games in the past. And, uh, yeah, and, you know, if this is something you like, then it's, it's pretty easy for us to just uh, turn on a voice recorder and scream at each other. For an hour, which is a bit like life with us anyway. Yeah, so, you know, we'd, we'd actually be having these exact same conversations even if the term wasn't here. So if you did like this, <laughs> let us know uh, and, and we'll make a regular feature of it. And uh, Shut Up and Sit Down will continue to grow. Hot bananas. Ah, oh, hot beans. Cool. All right, guys. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye.